Hi there, and welcome along to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. Now, the last number of weeks, I've been asking for people to come forward who may be interested in Stoicism and want to share their stories. I'm absolutely delighted to say that I'd done that this week. I spoke with fellow Stoic enthusiast, Johnny Lowe, as we spoke about his experiences of the philosophy, how he first came to know about it and how he tries to use it throughout different aspects of his life. We recorded a full episode and that full episode will be released in the coming weeks in both audio form and video form. You'll get that on our YouTube channel and our Facebook channel too. But before we dive into this week's episode, I'm going to give you a clip of what you can expect from that episode itself and listen to Johnny how he speaks about the three different areas of stoicism that he's taken from his readings and applies to his life. Yeah, well, uh, to snap back to the book, uh, The Obstacle in the Way, there is those three uh, sections to it, perception, action and will. Perception is how you see the problem, uh, action is how you respond to it, and will is how you see it through. So, um, like, that's the hardest part, I think, is actually being able to, because it's very easy to see when something, like, pisses you off, and it's really easy to recognize that and be like, this is annoying me, but then the hard part is to really step, take a step back and be like, right, it's annoying me, but I can't do anything about it, or it's annoying me, and what's the best way for me to deal with this? Is it confrontation? Is it going to be that I go away and have like a think about how I'm thinking about things? So keeping this week's intro short and sweet, we're going to move swiftly on with the show and dive into the work and the life of someone called Antipater, the next prominent character in our journey through the founding years of the philosophies. If Diogenes was the pragmatic politician, then his student Antipater, the next leader of the store, was the real world ethicist. Practical, but also intent on establishing clear principles from which every action must descend. Antipater would become a stickler for truth and honesty. Where Diogenes had brought politics to the realm of philosophy, or philosophy to the realm of the real world politics, Antipater sought to bring the practice of everyday ethics into all facets of our lives. He was a different kind of leader. Past leaders of the Stoa would have held lectures in large, grand theatres, But Antipater preferred a much more personal touch. He would invite friends around to dinner and he would often have long, deep discussions about philosophy afterwards. Dinner parties aside, he was the first Stoic to make strong arguments for marriage and for family life, something that had been neglected by earlier philosophers. He also stopped minimising the indifferent things in daily life, whom we marry, how we dress, what we eat, and brought ethics to the forefront of a philosopher's concern. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, it's worth noting that I take inspiration from two books in particular written by Ryan Holiday. That is The Daily Stoic and The Lives of the Stoic. You can grab those both on Amazon or any other bookstore. They're fantastic in terms of how they structure their stories. They're they're fantastic because they give you little quick insights to the philosophy itself and allow you then to go and share them, but also gain your own understanding and knowledge from them. He also has a Daily Stoic journal that I use for my journaling. And again, you can grab that across all bookstores. I'm not being paid to promote it. I don't even know why I'm doing it. I suppose it's just because I like the way he writes and I like his book so much. So there you go. If he's listened to that, then royalties can definitely come my way. I won't turn them down. And in keeping with other events and the way that we normally produce these shows, we'll now explore my journal entry for the past week. Now, this week I've drawn inspiration from page 73 of the Daily Stoic, dated March the 3rd, titled Disintegration. March 3rd. Disintegration. These things don't go together. You must be a unified human being, either good or bad. 
you must diligently work either on your reasoning or on things out of your control. Take care with the inside and not what's outside. Which is to say, stand with the philosopher or else with the mob. We're all complicated people. We have multiple sides to ourselves, conflicting wants, desires and fears. The outside world is no less confusing and contradictory. If we're not careful, all these forces pushing and pulling will eventually tear us apart. We can't live as both Jackal and Hyde. Not for long anyway. We have a choice. To stand with the philosopher and focus strenuously on the inside, or to behave like a leader of a mob, becoming whatever the crowd needs you at a given minute. If we do not focus on our internal integration, on self-awareness, we risk external disintegration. Coincidentally, this week's topic was something that I mentioned last week and I have mentioned in previous weeks too, conformity. Something I've struggled with for a lot of my life and to an extent in school as well and as I grew through my teenage years. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm an anarchist at all, but there are certain things that I struggle with and I struggle to get my head around. Like, for example, and I mentioned it in a live episode, who determined that a professionally presented person is one who wears a suit? And then we also see that in invites professional uh, attire required. Like, what is that? I mean, I would argue that presentation is superficial and that completely irrelevant as any marker of knowledge or predictor of future performance in a given job role. Just because you rock up in a pair of jeans in comparison to a fully three-piece suit doesn't mean that the person in three-piece suit has more knowledge and is more applicable to the job role or has more experience uh, within that sector. It just makes absolutely no sense. It's a way of Controllership, it's a way of putting you in a box and making everybody conform. Delve into that a little bit deeper. I'm going to take you back to circa 2001 and a 13 year old me. I attended an army cadets meeting and honestly, I had no idea that it would have the effect that it seemingly has had on me, but I didn't have any desire at all to be in the army. So the only reason I was there was because my cousin attended. But from the outside, the building looked much of a muchness, really. Something that resembled a stereotypical community centre. You know that stuff with the white pebble-dashed walls? It almost looks dirty in places because the dirt has hung under the holes of the pebble dash. Off which hung perfectly placed crease-free Union Jacks alongside some other crazy-looking naval flags. Now, as you walked through the door, you could smell the mustiness of the dark oak which formed the entrance hall. And just behind the double glass doors, you could see the main hall itself. And as we entered the hall, we heard a strict, rasping sounding voice. One that you'd expect from a sergeant major in need of some soothers or Werther's originals to help clear his throat. It echoed around the room, with the instruction to line up in the middle of the hall, side by side, facing forward. Now I am yet to ascertain which way was forward, though I suspect the wall that was clad with pictures, flags, plaques, had adopted that name. As the raspy-voiced person moved his way up along the line, we were instructed to put our hands out in front of us as our fingernails would be inspected for dirt. Just stop and think about that for a second. 13-year-old hormonal spotty boys emitting enough body odour that 10 tonnes of Lynx Africa would struggle to mask are being asked if their fingernails are clean. So there you have it. The reason why I detest conformity is because somebody asked me why my fingernails weren't clean. I'm not going to let this episode fall into the brinks of chaos and I'm going to bring it back from collapse after talking about dirty fingernails and hormones and BO but here's my journal entry for March the 3rd titled Am I Standing with the Philosopher or the Mob? I often verbalise my disdain for conformity and to be who others think I should be. 
Do I feel that this is because the perception that I have of what others have of me is inaccurate? It's a less stressful path if you just run with the mob. When others make decisions for you, when you look to others for influence, only to be held by the hand and guided through it step by step. I have to be careful because at times I swing from the extreme end of non-conformity. But then I realise I also have to pick and choose when and how to conform and how non-conformist my views are. This back and forth is something that I'm sure others feel too, though maybe they have more of a clearer set of guiding principles than I. If only you can control your perceptions, then why look to others for clarification or acceptance? Because I'm beginning to realise that social acceptance is something that we all crave. It's just that some of us are more disciplined at containing the influence of others on our actions. I've had this notion for some time now to ask myself, am I adding value? Is what I am doing going to make a difference? In work and in football, I feel disconnected from people, clubs, organisations when I don't feel like I'm adding value. That my actions have no value. But here's the thing. In work in particular, I have to feel like I'm getting the value. It's more of a self-centred approach than in football. Throughout this whole process of journaling and writing down my thoughts and my feelings and trying to understand them, I do feel as if that journal entry has been my most rewarding yet. It's been my most honest and is the one that to date has left a lasting impression on me in a somewhat emotional way. I honestly feel that this week's reflections have been more focused throughout the week, throughout the seven days. They've been authentic and absent of any rhetorical bullshit. I'm finally feeling that I'm making progress with it. It's a weird kind of situation to be in. It's a weird setting to see your thoughts and feelings and emotions on pieces of paper. And I do think it takes time for you to be honest with yourself. The first time you try it, the first few goes, you're kind of writing what you expect others will want to hear if somebody else was reading it. But that's completely a different route, the mindset to take. Marcus Aurelius wrote his meditations, his reflections, because they were his. They weren't meant to be published to anybody else. And I think that's that's the key to writing more honest and more forthright journal entries is to view it purely as when I write this, it's going to be destroyed. Nobody else is going to read it. So I can write whatever I want, however I feel. And I guess that's kind of where I'm going with it and where I feel that I'm making as much progress as I am. So staying with the structure of the show, we now move into the final segment where I read seven days of Stoic Wisdom from The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday, the book upon which this podcast is based. February 26th, to each his own. Another has done me wrong. Let him see to it. He has his own tendencies and his own affairs. What I have now is to what common nature has willed, and what I endeavour to accomplish now is what my nature wills. Abraham Lincoln occasionally got fuming mad with a subordinate, one of his generals, or even a friend. Rather than taking out on them directly, he'd write a long letter outlining the case and why he thought he was right and why they were wrong. Then Lincoln would fold it up, put the letter in his desk drawer and never send it. Many of these letters survive today only by chance. He knew, as the former emperor of Rome knew, that it's easy to fight back. It's tempting to give them a piece of your mind, but you almost always end up with regret. You almost always wish you hadn't sent the letter. Think of the last time you flew off the handle. What was the outcome? Was there any benefit? February 27th, cultivating indifference where others grow passion. 
Of all the things that are, some are good, others bad, and yet others indifferent. The good are virtues and all that share in them. The bad are vices and all that indulge in them. The indifferent lie in between virtue and vice and include wealth, health, life, death, pleasure and pain. Imagine the power you'd have in your life and relationships if all the things that trouble everyone else, how thin they are, how much money they have, how long they have left to live, how they will die, didn't matter so much to you. What if, where others were upset, envious, excited, possessive or greedy, you were objective, calm and clear-headed? Can you envisage that? Imagine what it would do for your relationships at work, or for your love life, or for your friendships. Seneca was an incredibly wealthy, even famous man, yet he was a Stoic. He had many material things, yet, as the Stoics say, he also was indifferent to them. He enjoyed them while they were there, but he accepted that they might someday disappear. What a better attitude than desperately craving more or fearfully dreading losing even one penny. Indifference is solid middle ground. It's not about avoidance or shunning, but rather not giving any possible outcome more power or preference than is appropriate. This is not easy to do, certainly, but if you could manage, how much more relaxed would you be? February 28th, when you lose control. The soul is like a bowl of water, and our impressions are like the ray of light falling upon the water. When the water is troubled, it appears that the light itself is moved too, but it isn't. So when a person loses their composure, it isn't their skill and virtues that are troubled, but the spirit in which they can exist. And when that spirit calms down, so do other things. You messed up a little, or maybe you messed up a lot. So what? That doesn't change the philosophy that you know. It's not as if your reason choice has permanently abandoned you. Rather, it was you who temporarily abandoned it. Remember that the tools and aims of our training are unaffected by the turbulence of the moment. Stop. Regain your composure. It's waiting for you. March 1st where philosophy begins. An important place to begin in philosophy is this, a clear perception of one's own ruling principle. Philosophy is intimidating. Where does one start? With books, with lectures, with the sale of our worldly possessions? None of these things. Epictetus is saying that one becomes a philosopher when they begin to exercise their guiding reason and start to question the emotions and beliefs and even language that others take for granted. It is thought that an animal has self-awareness when it is able to fully recognize itself in a mirror. Perhaps we could say that we begin our journey into philosophy when we become aware of the availability and the ability to analyze our own minds. Can you start with that step today? When you do, you'll find that from it we really come alive, that we live lives, to paraphrase Socrates, that are actually worth living. March 2nd. Accurate self-assessment. Above all, it is necessary for a person to have a true self-estimate. For we commonly think we can do more than we really can. Most people resist the idea of a true self-estimate, probably because they fear it might mean downgrading some of their beliefs about who they are or what they're capable of. As Gorty's maxim goes, it's a feeling to see yourself as more than you are. How could you really be considered self-aware if you refuse to consider your weaknesses? Don't fear self-assessment because you're worried you might have to admit some things about yourself. The second half of Gorthy's maxim is important too. He states that it's equally damaging to value yourself as less than your true worth. It is not equally common to be surprised at how well we're able to handle a previously feared scenario. The way that we're able to put aside the grief for our loved one and care for others, though we always thought we'd be wrecked, 
if something were to happen to our parents or a sibling. The way we're able to rise to the occasion in a stressful situation or a life-changing opportunity. We underestimate our capabilities just as much and just as dangerously as we overestimate others' abilities. Cultivate the ability to judge yourself accurately and honestly. Look inward to discern what you're capable of and what it will take to unlock that potential. March 4th, awareness is freedom. The person is free who lives as they wish, neither compelled nor hindered nor limited, whose choices aren't hampered, whose desires succeed and who don't fall into whatever repels them. Who wishes to live in deception, tripped up, mistaken, undisciplined, complaining, interrupt? No one. These are base people who don't live as they wish, and so no base person is free. It is sad to consider how much time we spend in the course of a day doing things that we have to do. Not necessarily obligations like work or family, but the obligations we needlessly accept out of vanity or ignorance. Consider the actions we take in order to impress other people or the lengths we'll go to fulfill urges or state desires we don't even question. In one of his famous letters, Seneca observes how often people are slaves to their money, to their positions, to their mistresses, even, as was legal in Rome, to their slaves. No slavery is more disgraceful, he quipped, than the one which is self-imposed. We see this slavery all the time. A codependent person who can't help but clean up after a dysfunctional friend. A boss who micromanages employees and sweats every penny. The countless causes, events and get-togethers were too busy to attend but agreed to anyway. Take an inventory of your obligations from time to time. How many of these are self-imposed? How many of these are truly necessary? Are you as free as you think?